they're called. There'll be fantasy. There'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are gonna start right here. Hello and welcome to Triple Feature on the Red Religion Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radelidge. And on the marquee tonight is Cry Macho, directed and starring Clint Eastwood, currently day and date on HBO Max, though you wouldn't know it because I don't think anyone saw this in theaters. Um... And we are also looking at a Netflix movie from a couple of months back starring Idris Elba. We are going to be reviewing Concrete Cowboy. And then finally, because my guest picked it and insisted we talk about it, uh, from a few years back starring Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges, Hell or High Water. So it's all Westerns all the time here on Triple Feature. And of course... Uh, he's packing up in his game and he's heading out west because he wants to be a cowboy. And on a steel horse he rides, he's wanted dead or alive. That's two references, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's Robert Winfrey. How do you do, sir? I'm not entirely sure you could have chosen two less appropriate <laughs> songs for the Western genre than something by Kid Rock and Bon Jovi. I think I was mad appropriate. I want nothing. Nothing <laughs> screams the American West, the American West, mm. and all of the associated visual imagery and themes that go into that whole genre, than a guy from Detroit <laughs> and a guy from New Jersey. I so wanted to do the entire first like in verse of uh, Cowboy by Kid Rock. You know the I the whole know thing. You did. So, you know, so, you know, I wanted to say Robert Winfrey wants to start an escort service for all the right reasons, but, you know, uh, figured let's just get to it. And let's get to it. So a um, couple of things about this before we, we get into it. Ro Robert, if you listen to our Magnificent Seven review that just uh, got re-aired yeah. in the past day or so, which I highly recommend because it's one of our better ones. It's one of the ones where Robert and I, A, didn't hate the movie, B, weren't trying to kill each other live on air, or threatening to kill another actress. For that matter, it's a very nice. Did review. I not? Did I seriously not threaten any of the people on that show with murder? Oh, wow. Yeah, no. Really off the, my game. One of the few you didn't threaten anyone with murder, but it, it's an infamous episode because that's the one where we came up with "Damn You Hollywood." That's true. That is the that is the one where that we we solidified the title of the show. Yeah, after two or three years of it's the summer blockbuster, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you were and like, it and then it wasn't the summer anymore. <laughs> and it was like, right. This is going on forever. Um, you were like, this is a bit unwieldy and we need to come up with a better title. And I just blurred out, how about damn you, Hollywood? And you were like, print, <laughs> print money. Go. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, we talked on that show that you grew up with the Western. Uh, you're a big fan. Um, we don't need to rehash that again. Uh, for those of you who are listening and haven't listened to our Magnificent Seven review, go listen to what Robert talks about, how he grew up with his dad watching Westerns and whatnot. Um, when I saw that they had announced that Cry Macho was going to be debuting September 17th, 
And initially, it was supposed to be October, but then a whole bunch of stuff flipped around and it ended up being in the mid middle of September. Yeah, we look the the ongoing issues of scheduling and release yeah. dates and everything for the last you know two years is a thing. Like we yeah. always accept it. It initially uh, it was initially dated for October. They a bunch of stuff got moved around. Um, got moved into a very crowded October, and so it flipped into September. And initially, when I saw the announcement, I was like, okay, it's just, it's just like no sudden move was that it was exclusive to HBO Max. And I was like, okay, let's do a whole, let, let's accommodate Robert. I'm so accommodating. Yeah, <laughs> aren't you just. I was like, let's give him an opportunity. I really wanted to talk about Concrete Cowboy. Um, and we were going to do Cry Macho. And it was like, okay, I'll let Robert pick a third Western. And we'll have a whole Western themed triple feature. So as it turns out, Cry Macho wasn't just exclusive to HBO Max like I thought it was going to be. It was day and date in theaters. And because this is a triple feature and not damn you, Holly, we're not going to have a money segment. But I will tell you, nobody saw this thing. Oi. Um, I was reading, I was actually reading about Cry Macho um, in the trades. And they were saying that it was pretty indicative that people, that the audience that was meant for Cry Macho of being, you know, 50 and older, um, not comfortable going to the theaters just yet. So, uh, and then everything that's day and date tends to not do well in theaters because why would people go to the theaters if they can watch it at home? Um, and that's been consistent from Black Widow to just about anything else. But in any case, um, so uh, let's get into Cry Macho first, and then we'll talk Concrete Cowboy, and then we'll get into Hell or High Water. First, were you uh, at all excited for Cry Macho? You know, this is a 91-year-old Clint Eastwood directed Western, um, you know, like as far as, you know, the, the, the Western goes, you a big Clint Eastwood fan? Uh, for the most part. My level of excitement for this was a little bit more on the, on the subdued side. I mean, <laughs> look, Clint Eastwood is a legend of the film industry, the entertainment genre as, industry as a whole. He's created so, you know, some very iconic characters. He's created some incredible movies as a director. But at 91, you know, there's the limitations begin to arise. And I was so I was certainly not disinterested, but I was a little bit, you know, like, OK, let's manage our expectations for this and see what comes about. Sure. Uh, I mean, this is based on a fairly old book i seem to i, I was i was i was gonna say i was reading it like they've actually tried to adapt this a couple of times and in one iteration they were going to get schwarzenegger which that was what kind of movie would this have been with schwarzenegger right they, they we would have had to have car chases and fist fights and you know could you just imagine uh, <laughs> Ar Ar arnie in a western you know believe it or not i actually kind of can mm -hmm. I, I, for a very specific reason i mean i look Arnie's movies get graded on a curve anyway because sure. they're Arnie movies. Mm -hmm. But he gets a bit of a bad, an unfairly bad rap as an actor. Look, is the man an Oscar winner? No, probably never. But he's he's a really good case study for how hard it is to get around a first impression. Mm -hmm. Everybody saw him for the first time in conan or the first terminator or you like one of his early productions right right when he didn't have tremendous range and his grasp of the language was 
acceptable, but certainly not what it is today. Certainly have the same issue with The Rock. Yeah. A more modern example of these guys, you know, jump out of, I mean, he, Ar Arnold came from weightlifting, The Rock came from wrestling, as the parallels go. And they, it, they both took some time to figure out how acting works and not just being a body. But hey, um, so yeah, Cry Macho apparently was in development hell for like oh, a zillion yeah. years. Well, uh, the book was published in 75, 77. Mm -hmm. I will have that. 75. Yeah. And it was optioned fairly, uh, it was optioned fairly early. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they first offered the role to Clint Eastwood, believe it or not, in 1988. Right. I think he turned it down to do what, the Deadpool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Roy Schneider tried again in the 90s, uh, in the early 2010s. Uh, they only had a different... Yeah, it, it was in 2011 when they wanted Arnie for the lead role. Mm -hmm. And I think that's about the time that he could have done He could have done this. He's still, you know, a physically... Like, it would have been a different... It would have been a very different movie. Sure. Would have been more uh, action-oriented instead oh, yeah. of sort of a meditation on what it... You know, I... I, I I think Cry Macho, at least this iteration of it, I don't know how close it is to the book, is this meditation on one, on, on one what it means to be a manly man, what it means to be macho, um, and how that serves you as a man as you go through the world. But also, it's a meditation on love and loss and how that affects people and you know how it changes the course of, uh, of people's existence. So um, it would not have been that with Schwarzenegger. It would but, have it would have been carry the football across the across the end zone with a lot of action sequences. I that said, I do think he's a capable enough actor to have mm -hmm. brought us to have brought some emotional depth into the story that you would kind of need. I mean, again, we're talking ninety year old Clint Eastwood. Right. I was thinking so, it would have been kind of the last action hero, but a western. I don't think it would have been that. Uh, I can see the, a little bit the point there. I, I don't think mm -hmm. you're too far off. I think it would have been a much better movie than Last Action Hero, which is. <laughs> but uh, after you know years and so you know some thirty years after he was offered the role the first time in the eighties, mm -hmm. it comes back around for Clint Eastwood, and this time around he is also directing as well as starring in it. Yeah, I have I have things to say about some of the choices here. This is this is definitely like a, a vanity project, I think, for both H, for both Warner Brothers and for Clint Eastwood. I think mutually they were like, I think for for Warner Brothers, like they want to they want a prestige picture, and then you know they want the prestige of a Clint, of Clint Eastwood, and let's celebrate this man's career with what will most likely be a last hurrah for him as he's ninety one, you know, with this classic western. Um, but I think also for him, it's like you know, it's almost like, hey, I can still do this, you know. And as to, I, I, at first I found my, when I saw that it was actually going to be day and date and not just exclusive to HBO Max, I was like, what, who in their right mind thought anyone was going to go to the theaters to see this? And I thought for a moment, yeah, I don't think anyone cares. This was absolutely, this, this was a, absolutely put in theaters for the possibility it might garner a nomination for an Oscar. Yeah, th this is not a picture that you release to make a tremendous amount of box office return on. That's just... Yeah. All right, so let's get into the plot of this thing. So the plot follows Clint Eastwood's character of... I'm Joe listening. Cowboy. Uh, no, Mar Mike. Mike Milo. Yeah, Mike Milo. Jeez. Un okay, that's a name. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Mike Milo. 
I mean, it's better than Cade Yeager, which almost sounds like something someone <laughs> might actually name their kid. Okay, pitch meeting. Move on. I'm, I'm sorry. That just made me laugh. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I hate that particular movie so much. But anyway, well, you know. so we follow him as he is a very old, I mean, he's nine, Clint's 91. The character's got it. Like, you can't sell this guy as younger than 70 as a mm-hmm. character. Uh, the movie is set in 1979. Mm-hmm. He's a retired rodeo cowboy who had to retire after a pretty severe back injury. He's been working on a ranch, you know, breaking horses, managing things, etc. But you know, like you do with most he uh, with most severe injuries, especially in the 70s, mm-hmm. you get hooked on the pills and the booze. <laughs> and his life falls apart for a little bit. He gets fired from his job because he's always late and is you're still trying to deal with his physical pain and the emotional pain that we find out later is still just like long stemming from the death of his wife and child. Uh, After he gets fired about a year later, his old boss played by Dwight Yoakam approaches him and says, I've got a 13 year old kid living with his mother in Mexico. I would like you to go get him and bring him back here to live with me. I, he sells him a story about him being abused and just go get my son, bring him back. I'll pay you. And well, I, I need this and you're a guy I can trust with this job. Mike feeling a little bit indebted to this gentleman, Howard for years back, agrees to agrees to go drives down to Mexico, meets the kid's mother, who is some form of a gangster. Yeah. It's never made clear, but she's, she's into some shady stuff and she says, "Okay, I don't, you know, I don't know where my son is. He lives on the streets. He's a pain in the ass. If you can find him, go knock yourself out." <laughs> he finds the kid. He wanders around Mexico City for five minutes and finds the kid at a cockfight, uh, which was one of my only complaints. I have issues with the writing of this movie, mm-hmm. but that's that's on the screenplay. That's on the screenwriters who we will get into when we get to that point. He finds him. He tries to take the kid home. He is then, uh, he is then you know, given the boot by his by the uh, the kid's mother. Who after he's he can't quite find him. Kid's mother talks with him again, and he again kind of turns down her propositioning of him, and she gets a little bit offended, throws him out. He drives back only to find out that the kid uh, Rafo has hitched a ride in his car with his uh, rooster Macho. He fi- so they find each other on the road. They start driving. There's minor disputes. There's you know obstacles to be overcome in the form of his mother trying to get him back. Along the way, he talks with his boss on a t- on you know uh, calls his boss at one point, and Howard uh, let's slip what this is all really about. <laughs> now the degree to which he does actually want a relationship with his son is probably there. He, this guy is not presented as a total douchebag. Right. But a significant portion of his motivation for going through with this is he and his wife, uh, he had bought land in Mexico, but under this, his, this, uh, not his, I don't think they were married at the time even, but under, what's her name? Letta? Okay, Letta, who is uh, Rafa's mother. Under Letta's name because Americans can't own land in Mexico. Uh, if anyone tries to sell you a timeshare to the contrary, please remember this. <laughs> And there's, and even if you can, if you're a business, then there's like the tax rates for Americans owning property in Mexico is exorbitant. Like, I don't want to get into the whole backstory of that as a real world thing, 
and and now that uh, these investments that he made in this land and whatnot has matured, he wants his 50% of the profits from the investment. And his wife, his, you know, and Letta will not give it to him. So if he's got Rafo living with him, maybe this will encourage her and her lawyers to give him his fair share. So this is as much driven by financial greed as it mm-hmm. is a desire to reconnect with his son. Now, again, the degree to which which one supersedes the other is left largely up to the audience to interpret. There's He doesn't like ever lay it out specifically. Uh, but he, so that's, we find that out. Their car, uh, their car gets stolen. They wind up stealing, they wind up getting another one. That one breaks down in a small town where they spend a few weeks. This is where uh, Mike teaches Rafo how to ride a horse. Uh, they spend some time there. They re- they connect with a local widow and her grandchildren who run a cantina. Eventually, however, the police find them. They have to leave again. They get uh, they get near the border and then stopped by some uh, some police officers who hassle them. But Rafo is eventually able to bribe them into leaving. Uh, and we can talk more about the specifics here in a second. There's a lot of contextual stuff I'm skipping over. They eventually do get to the border. Mike and Rafo bid each other farewell. Rafo goes to live with his father and leaves the rooster macho with Mike to kind of look after him. And Mike turns back around and heads back to the widow in the small town because they kind of connected as people. And that's where he's just going to be for a bit. It's important to note, and, and I, I'm sorry if I missed that if you said this, that Mike lost his wife and children in yeah. a car accident, um, and so he did not have those kind of familial connections anymore. And he refines them with this woman and her grandchildren, and that's the big draw for him. It's kind of the story of a person who there's another movie that was very similar to this. You know, um, it was something that we saw within the last year or so, where it was somebody who had lost their family in a car accident and was sort of adrift and was very disconnected from life. And then things happened in the movie and they re-engaged with life, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Let me talk briefly about my issues with this movie. Um, As a meditation on what it means to be a man and how one can, you know, how machismo, you know, the, I don't want to use the phrase toxic masculinity, but I don't know how else to say this quickly enough to get to my point. So I'm just Mark, bear with I, me. Okay, Mark, I let you throw around institutional racism when we were talking about candy. Man. <laughs> if you and I say that, I only say this because I I know what you mean. Okay. Um, but perceived toxic masculinity and how um, there's something that I've seen a lot of lately throughout various uh, social media outlets, which is how, you know, men's mental health tends to get ignored. Um, I mean, as I'm, if I'm it doesn't gonna, exist. Yeah. I'm not going to get on, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here or anything, no. but I'm just going to, I'm just, it does, you know, our, yeah. the mental health of men is constantly ignored. The plight of the plight of men as a general rule is mm-hmm. given less, People care a great deal less. Men are significantly more expendable. That's a that that's just the biological right. reality of it. But I think, that, but there's a, there's a social cultural element to it too. Oh, yeah. you know, boys don't cry, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
men, you know, by and large, struggle with the entire range of emotions that any human being would struggle with. Um, this is not a secret. It's just not something that I think it's acknowledged like it should. And what the movie is trying to say is that in all the ways that men try to live up to the uh, the expectations set for them by society and culture, they, it, it can it can weigh on them and it can make them make some not so great decisions and turn them into not so great people. And so how do you as a man cope with that? And, you know, at what point do you give up on this sort of thing and say, well, to hell with society and culture, I, I need to be a human being. And that sometimes means I, I, you know, I have to experience these other things that people have said are not appropriate for a man to, to be dealing with. Um, as a meditation on that, I, I like Cry Macho. Um, as a meditation on life and loss, you know, and finding one's way back into the world, even at 90 years old, you know, I, I like what the movie is trying to say. Your life isn't over until you've decided that it is or you actually die. But, you know, to, to have loved and lost is not the end of the world. And, you know, a, 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 metaphorically and both physically in this movie, you got to get back on that horse again. The problem is as a as meditations, it, you know, like I said, it's good, but there still has to be movie craft involved. <laughs> there still has to yeah, be there's... acting and, you know, line delivery and I'm... dialogue. God, the, this movie. The hey. writing of this movie is is like the, the biggest weakness of this thing is the well, writing. I'll tell you, I think delivered by some different actors, it's not as bad. Uh, there's a couple of things I, I need to point out where nothing right. could have, I don't think anything could have saved it other than another rewrite. Um, the first scene with Dwight Yoakam, I'm looking in your direction. Yeah. This kid, Rafa. So good. Uh, I'm looking at the actor's name here. Um, Ed Eduardo Minette as Raphael Rafa Polk. Um, I don't know if he's supposed to suck. <laughs> he's supposed if if that was what Clint Eastwood wanted out of him, because it, the way he gives certain line deliveries and there's sort of an absence of any kind of emotion in certain things that he says, to where it feels like he's just reading words off a page that he, it almost sounds like he doesn't know the English language, but he was told to say words on a page, and so he does, but he doesn't know what he's saying. This is how he talks through most of the movie. And he, he has some interesting dialogue that speaks to what is machismo, you know, and he's constantly... By the way, you want to play a great drinking game. Every time Rafo says macho. Yeah, you'll wind up in the hospital. You will, you will, you, you will pickle your liver. Um, but, like, as much as this kid is sort of, is sort of the uh, spokesperson for... What it you know what pe what people think being macho is he is re he's, he's not believable. He's supposed to be regurgitating again mm -hmm. the healthy Societal unhealthy. Expectation. Yeah, like all he ha all this kid has, mm -hmm. given the way he was brought up, is bad examples of what it means to be a man. Right. It's people coming in and out of his mother's life. Mm -hmm. It's and I using him. That that happens. A bunch of them abusing him. That's very true. Mm. And the Mexican culture, especially if we're going to set this con to the period it's supposed to be set, so you know, right before the 1980s in Mexico, the entire culture of much like the Mexican culture places heavy emphasis on machismo. Sure. Like that. So I mean, it's a guy with no good role models. 
and an absentee mother raised around a bunch of criminals suffering physical abuse and neglect whose culture whose only touchstones with this are like the broadest of broad bullet points that are deeply unhelpful when you have to navigate your way through life right the again the problem is he as an actor oh, yeah. isn't believable in this role no, he's, I, I, I think he's so and i can't tell if the kid's just a shitty actor which is unfortunate or if that's what Clint Eastwood wanted out of him. I honestly sat and struggled with this movie for a real long time while watching it, going, I don't know if this is bad or not. I know it feels bad. I know it's coming across as like poorly acted. Um, but I don't know if that's what Clint Eastwood was going for because of who and what Rafa was supposed to be. And like Clint Eastwood's great in this, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Clint Eastwood is by far the best part of this picture. I mean, at 90, first of all, at 91 years old, I'm pretty sure I would, you know, in most cases, outside of professional fighters, I would take Clint Eastwood in a fight. Like, he's, <laughs> he, he looks like he can still kick some ass. And he's very, you know, and as an old, tired, depressed man, kind of dealing, you know, with the, with the crossroads of his golden years, he's entirely believable. So Clint Eastwood is great. He's not the problem with this movie. Problem is, he's not particularly surrounded by great actors. So like Dwight Yoakam, especially in the first scene, could that have been any more tone deaf and just like, like he's running Clint Eastwood down on the first scene of this movie. And he, and it's almost like he's reading off a grocery list. There, he's just like listing off all of the bad things in Clint Eastwood's life with no particular inflection, no dramatic tension, no dramatic presentation. Yeah. He's just blurting. And it's like I, to the point where it took me out of the movie, and I'm like, "Well, this doesn't sound believable to me. This sounds like a scene they wrote to get to the point where you, you know, where, where you get the hero to go on the mission." Um, and I don't know if Dwight Yoakam is always a bad actor. I haven't. I don't remember seeing him in anything else, or or he's, if he's been in something. I don't know. I've seen a, it. He's not usually a bad actor. I think that he's terrible in this. Oh no, he this movie in particular, he does not do a very good job. That's right. It's very so, true. That is my biggest complaint about this movie in, in total because, like, it's a slow, sleepy movie. But again, it, this wasn't supposed to be the Fast and the Furious. This was this was what it was. Um, and so I was ready for that. I was not ready for some of the worst line readings I've ever seen. And I was not ready for some of the worst acting I've ever seen to the point where I don't know if Clint Eastwood, when giving direction, was like, I don't. I may die before this is over. Let's <laughs> let's just cut and print and move on to the next scene. I don't care anymore. I'm Clint Eastwood. I will get a certain pass on things. Or if like, you know, or if the opposite is true. Like he's, all right, take 47. My rooster is macho. Cut, you fucking kid, you. <laughs> you know? And just like after a while, like well, this is as good as it's going to get. I don't know which one it was. I don't know which one either, and I agree with you about uh, the actor. Who, uh, I agree with you about the performance of Rafa. It's a, mm -hmm. it's not great. I that is somewhat counterbalanced by Eastwood being able to play off of the kid. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the scenes where they, the scenes where they just talk at each other, mm -hmm. eh, the scenes where they actually engage. Those are, they're again, they're not exceptional, but they're certainly the right side of good. I think when he's kind of doing dopey kid lines and there's Clint Eastwood going, you're being a dopey kid. Here's why you're wrong. Yeah. Those scenes 
despite the bad acting work for me. So they a lot almost, of stuff, a lot of stuff I, in the car. Yeah, this might seem weird. I actually think they work better because of the bad acting, because <laughs> you also it just adds a, a different layer to him looking at this kid going, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Don't you don't you understand your character's motivations? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like a lot of the car stuff works. Um, But here's the problem. Like, th there's not a good actor, I mean, with the exception of the cantina owner. Um, who he ends up falling in love with, Clint Eastwood. She's fine. Uh, yeah. Who she, I've she, I've seen her before. I need to. She's not her. that bad. She she didn't do anything that was offensive. But like the mom, she's garbage. I don't know. Like she's some Chilean actress. I was looking her up, and like I don't know if she's always a bad actress, but she's not good in this. She's so over the like. We're talking Jared Leto levels of Joker, over the top. She's ridiculous. And again, I, I don't I know if like are we going for that or like was that I the intention think she's here? I think she's supposed to be. Because okay. when we both of the times we are we spend time with her, she's meant to be some very some combination of poo of you know boozed and pilled up. Like she's right. at, at a bare minimum, she's drunk. Okay, but um, I've seen a lot of boozed up and pilled people in I'm real aware. life and on film. This okay. is kind of my jam. I'm aware. I'm just saying I'm I'm more willing to go along with a questionable performance from someone who's deliberately playing someone intoxicated. Again, I I just feel like Clint I mean, Eastwood on. was less interested in a believable performance and maybe was like reaching for something dramatic and thinking he got it, clearly, because they they edited this movie together and put it out there for public consumption. I'm also wondering because of the audience, this was, this was not intended for me and you. This was this was not intended for, this was intended for like your dad and my dad's generation. And I don't know how many I don't know how many people in the 65 plus category that this was meant for would have been giving this level of analysis or this level of uh, observation to the movie. So I'm wondering how much of this was this is for old men and their wives. Let it pass. It's fine. Could have been a bit of that. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Eastwood's performance. There's one moment in particular from this that I just want to highlight, and then mm. I mean, I could yell about the writing some more. And I, if you'd feel so inclined, I certainly can. But he's the first night they spend in that uh, you know church mm -hmm. uh, slash shrine. When he's getting ready to go to sleep and he's you know laying down, he's got the hat pulled over his eyes, and that's when he that's when Rafo asks him about his family. And there's this glorious the the way he delivers the line about what happened to them and kind of what happened to him mm -hmm. because of it. You never see his face, but you get the the almost break in his voice, and you can see his his chin. And you can see the shaking there. Like there, there's just enough to let you know. It's, uh, it's a really wonderful uh, sequence that was shot there. My last thing I'm going to say, I think it's a worthy film to at least. It, I would not go see this in theaters, but I, this is something I can you can absolutely watch at home. Um, I look. I like the message of the movie. I like what it's trying to say, and I think that's worthy enough to give it a watch. It's it's inoffensive, and and, and if you're not super critical about film like we are um it's probably passable but, but there's you 
I, I can't do a podcast and be like, it's passable. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, I, gotta, yeah. I gotta talk about stuff. Uh, look, there's some, there is some really great direction in cinema, cinematography. Mm-hmm. They make great use of the landscape shots. Sure. The exteriors are all brilliant. Uh, there's sequences in this movie that are just meant to be reflect, not even, not even strictly with dialogue, mm-hmm. but you know, the little moments that make life worth living, you know, that, that's yeah. what goes on a lot in this movie is these two characters sharing those moments together. Yeah. Like, you, you know, what is it that gives life? You know, like what, what gives life? It's, it's zest, it's meaning, you know, sleeping out under the stars every now and then on a decent night and just getting out of, you know, especially if you're away from heavily polluted areas, be that light pollution or, you know, air pollution and just sitting back, looking up and seeing the majesty of creation. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a wonderful little thing. And uh, this movie is full of moments like that, that are just take a second, let, let this breathe and enjoy this for what it is, because these are the things that you remember. These are the things that add the that, that help add to the experience of living. You know what might have helped the writing in this, Robert? I don't know if you know this or not. I'm going to guess you're about to do Grammarly. Yes! Because you're certainly not going to say, you know, Amazon Music sure would have helped the writing of this. Um, no, that comes later. Yes, Grammarly might have helped in the writing process. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. You download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. Do you like The Wire? Did you like Idris Elba in The Wire? Well, here's him playing an urban cowboy in Philadelphia. This is Concrete Cowboy, uh, which debuted on Netflix on April 2nd, according to the poster that I'm currently looking at. Uh, It was directed by Ricky Staub, who does not have a hyperlink, so I have no idea what else this man did. And... um, it made its film festival debut uh, September 13th of 2020, and then Netflix picked it up. And as I said, um, de- debuted April 2nd. It s- was based on the novel Ghetto Cowboy by Greg Neary. And uh, it stars, among others, Caleb McLaughlin, Darrell Jerome, Byron Bowers, Lorraine Toussaint, Method Man, and yeah, Cliff- Clifford Method Man Smith. From the Wu Tang Clan is Robert's uh, favorite rapper, but I don't know if anyone knows that or not. Teehee. <laughs> All right, so um, this was this was one that I was kind of waiting for a reason to talk about, and uh, when we decided we were going to do this, I was like, "Oh, I insist we talk about Concrete Cowboy." I thought this was a really interesting idea, and we'll get into some of my thoughts on it now, having seen the movie. Um, I definitely think there was there was a better way to do this, but. Go ahead, Robert. Why don't you tell them what the Concrete Cowboy is all about? Well, for the record, this is the first feature-length film for Ricky Staub, who's been a little bit of a... who's also done some writing uh, and production. Like, he's been around the movie industry for a while. This is just his first actual 
uh, you know, feature-length film. So we primarily follow 15-year-old Cole, who's a bit of a ne'er-do-well in Detroit, and his mother, having had it up to here, <laughs> drives him to Philly and drops him on the doorstep of his father <laughs> and leaves. Someone take care of my baby. Uh, one of the neighbors who sees him dropped off recognizes him and is able to say, hey, your dad's over here. His father is named Harp, played by the aforementioned Interselva. Uh, he lets Cole in. Cole finds out that his father is one of the people running a uh, an urban stable establishment not too far from where he lives. They don't really bond right away. They talk a little bit. Uh, Cole reconnects with his former childhood friend, now going by the name of Smoosh. Smush. Smoosh, I says. <laughs> um, and this is our primary source of conflict as Cole is pulled in two different directions. There's a pretty... Uh, Harp is very, very clear about there will be no drugs, there will be no gang violence around here. If you're around here, that's that's not cool. You're not welcome here. Smoosh has gotten involved in the drug trade and is trying to make moves there. So Cole starts spending time with the both of them, trying to figure out which direction his life is going to take. The decision winds up being made. I'm skipping over some stuff. We'll get a lot. We'll get to it in a second. This is uh, ultimately decided for Cole. I mean, Cole makes the decision to get away from the, like they get chased by a bigger drug dealer. They nearly get shot. And Cole says, you know what? My dad, might be a bit rough around the edges, but he's not getting me shot at. So we're going to call this one. And then uh, Smush winds up shot and killed in a gang violence incident anyway. Uh, there's a little bit of a subplot about this group of people trying to keep the stables going as uh, the property becomes more valuable and you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Cole winds up spending more time with the horses finding out a little bit more about who he wants to be as a person, reconciling with his father. Uh, then eventually he returns to Detroit with his mother. But after, again, having grown up a bit, reconnected with his father, and Harp eventually thanks Cole's mother for sending him out for the summer to live with him because it turns out they both kind of needed it. Now, there's some stuff that I kind of skipped over there, but this is a fairly straightforward coming-of-age story that tries mostly to get by on the strength of its premise, which is, hey, there's horse stables in the ghetto. <laughs> and to varying degrees of success. So the um, the ne'er-do-well boy raised by his mother to go live with his formerly ne'er-do-well father is a tale as old as time, done a zillion different ways, a zillion different times. Yeah. Um, I'm that part of Concrete Cowboy... I had almost no interest in and the poor kid playing Cole does his level best. And look, nobody gives a bad performance here. Everyone's everyone's good to great. Some are, some are even fine, but um, so that's not the issue. The issue is as a character, he's one of only a zillion uh, poor young boys who have been raised by mothers who, you know, who go to live with their father because they too need to know what it is to grow up and be a man. And so there's nothing particularly interesting about him as a character. He's just sort of this collection of well-worn traits. 
that we've seen, as I said, a zillion times. What's interesting about this movie, the thing that I think makes it worth a watch, if you've got two hours to kill and you've got Netflix, is I had no idea that there was this um, sort of anachronistic uh, culture in, I think it's West Philly, where people... Born and raised. Where where people who um, are trying to leave a ne'er-do-well life behind have adopted a modern cowboy aesthetic and are literally caring for horses and riding horses and have formed their own little subculture as a protective barrier to the negativity of the ghetto. Um, and I think that's interesting. It's something I wanted to learn more about. I'm, you know, it's something where I think I'm, I don't know if the book totally deals with that or if the book is also about this kid. You know, I, but I'm definitely, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I'm definitely really interested in this urban cowboy subculture that developed um, that I am about his personal story, which is the great weakness of this movie. The urban cowboy stuff is really interesting. And some of the socio-political economic stuff going on in West Philly to where, you know, they these people are holding on to this because it's the barrier between them and falling back into terrible, you know, old habits. Meanwhile, the city's like, get these fucking horses out of here. People can smell this down the street. You know, developers we wanna, want... We want to put in a high-rise... Well, I was getting to that. You know, they want to gentrify the area. You know, they want they yeah, it's your Candyman review. Um, you know, they want developers want to come in and put in a Starbucks and break, you know, and bust down these old busted up stables. Um, and so there's a tale to tell here about people. And I kind of wish they had just focused on this. Um, there's a tale to tell here about people holding on to their community before it gets run over and flattened and something nondescript takes its place. And these, you know, poor people need a place to live. Poor people, you know, need a culture and a society of their own. And they're, they'll do just fine, you know, and generally speaking, you just let them be and they have what they need to survive. And this is about how that's not even enough for, <laughs> for us. We have to take that away from them, too, and put up a Starbucks and whatnot. And, and I know I'm oversimplifying this as much as like I did the yeah. Candyman review, well, well, but I'm trying to get to a point. Yeah, you know, I don't want to spend an hour discussing that. Look, we are oversimplifying the very complicated real-world issue right. at hand to get to a point about a piece of fiction. Yes. So in any case, um, the 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 great that's the issue I had with this movie was when they were talking about the subculture of the urban cowboy. I was really into it. And, you know, I love Idris Elba in this. I mean, who doesn't? You know, I'm he's still my vote for James Bond. Uh, I would I would certainly not object to him getting James Bond. He's he's also on my shit list, but that's not <laughs> on. Look, if what? if, if I can Idris Elba? wait a minute, why do you hate Idris Elba? I don't hate Idris Elba. Look, I'm allowed as an individual to <laughs> irrational, and I, as long as I acknowledge this is somewhat irrational. Sure. Fair. People associated with products and with stuff that I like who do that badly go a little bit on my shit list. What did he do that offended you? Oh, in short. In the, his, he's in the Dark Tower. He's supposed to be Roland. And I oh, joke. that? Dude, oh. don't... Look, You're don't ask... You're still mad about the Dark Tower? 
I can't, ex- this is not something, I, I tried to explain this to you when we did that, when we reviewed that movie. Yeah, sure. Like, imagine if Lord of, imagine if Fellowship of the Ring sucked. Like, if that movie had sucked. I can't, but I get your because, point. <laughs> because you lack imagination. Look, I know people, <laughs> I know people who were really pissed off at Martin Freeman mm-hmm. because of his take on the main character in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Sure. And look, as long as you acknowledge that it's petty and personal and mm-hmm. don't, it, it, I mean, again, if I were to go around going forever, the rest of my life, Idris Elba is terrible and should never act another day. Like, okay, I'm being unfair at that point. Yeah, that's he's not, a, that's not a, real. No one would be with you on that. Yeah, he's a good actor. I, again, my take is, look, it's him or Henry Cavill for the next James Bond, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with either of them. I would be more curious to see Elba's take. I like Idris Elba's work as a general rule. I'm also still very emotionally hurt over what he did to my favorite book series. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so yeah, Idris Elba's great in this. Um, Method Man, I, I know you're not the world's biggest fan of him either. I think he plays a good cop in oh this. God. And then, um, you know, the, the, the generally speaking, okay. the cast H- is good. Hang on. If we're going to, there's really only one, look, Elba's fine, right? Yeah. He's fine to, like, if there's a performance we need to talk about here, mm-hmm. it's the uh, the guy in the wheelchair. Okay. Because I believe that this is, look, this is a fictionalized version of essentially real events, right? This is a real subculture. This is based around real people. Mm-hmm. And this film hired a lot of the people that the story's based on. Yes, I believe, including our gentleman here with the dreadlocks in the wheelchair to tell his story of this is Jamil Prattis's Paris. I believe so. And I again, I I haven't seen it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I watched it not long after it came out, but I'm fairly certain he's one of the people that was just hired to be himself. Yeah, kind of like The Wire. You know, where they hired locals to play different parts. I actually think they hired like a drug dealer to play a preacher and that sort of shit. But you know, being yourself on camera is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Being yourself in an engaging performance is not an easy thing. No, and that and he and that's one of the big successes of this movie. Yeah, is how engaging he is. Oh, um, when he do, when he when he tells the story about why his horse is named Little, mm-hmm. like everybody's heard that's like everyone's heard that story, right? Some version of that story. It's a very, it's a common story, mm-hmm. and. In no small part, I think because it was true, he imbued it with humanity and he made you feel for it, even if you've heard 18 versions of it over the last two and a half months. And he does a good job of writing the kid Cole. Uh, And I mean that in a good way, like, no, okay, Uh, like when he tells him, okay, dumbass, if you muck (laughs) the stables one shovel full at a time. Right. Instead of using the wheelbarrow like God intended. So it's, it's like when I tell my kids to clean out the car and they literally pick up one cup, walk into the garbage, walk back, and then sigh that they're working too hard. I'm like, well, how about an armful of garbage? You know, how about the wheelbarrow of poo? Yeah, that, like there's ways to make this easier. There's ways right. to do this better. And he plays a decent mentor figure. I and... was going to say, I think the high point of the movie is really given to him. Oh, yeah. Like, like certainly not Cole, and it's not Idris Elba. Even Idris Elba is sort of you know one note in this, Little but um, but he, I mean he's great doing the one note, but it's one note. Um, but the, but when he rides the when he, when he's able to ride the horse with the you know with the uh, adapted saddle, 
Yeah. That's the best part of the movie. It's such a great 100%. part. 100%. You know, and that goes back to what I was saying about the kid who played Cole. Like, he's not bad or anything. He's doing his level best. But he's just not an interesting enough character. And he carries so much of this movie. Like, the movie follows yeah. him. They, struck, they and, structured and, this very weirdly. The movie follows him and his sort of internal crisis of do I do I follow Schmush and become a drug dealer or do I go with my dad and adopt this this lifestyle and he sort of rides the middle of the road for a while and and then he's given to not doing it anymore when Smush is shot and it's like that's not particularly brave of him you know that that's not a great strength of character to be like yeah I gave up being a drug dealer after I saw my after I saw my cousin get shot yeah well no shit <laughs> you know um I think he I I think the one saving grace about Cole is that he does acknowledge the strength and the uh the necessity of the urban cowboy culture and how it can be helpful and he does embrace it which is nice. I don't think he would have had much of a movie if he, if he didn't. But it also it, it would. it's it also a, right in that like familiar structure. It would just be a very different movie. Yeah. Um I'll let you have the the last word on this. I don't have a tremendous amount much more to say about I don't Concrete Cowboy, except except to say this, like I said, I it's worth it just for this really peculiar part of our culture that exists uh, in this tiny part of the world. But after that, by the end of it, you're like, okay, I've I've heard the song before. It's fine. Yeah, um, you're probably better off reading the book if all you want is more of a discussion about the actual culture that's being described here. Mm -hmm. As for the movie, it's. It's an acceptable coming of age story. Again, it, it relies really heavily on you being deeply impressed with the the setting. Like like, oh, mm. horses, cowboys in the middle of Philadelphia. I wanted Is more. This like, well, I, I wanted more of the of the of the conflict between the city and the cowboys and, and what that was all about. Because like there's a couple of blow-ups here and there. You know, you have the final thing with um you know, when they come and take all the horses and Cole calls his dad a coward. But like, I wanted, I, I wish inst almost instead of dealing with Cole, I wish you got to see other parts of the city that want, you know, I, I wish we could have seen a developer. I wish there was a developer character. I wish we could have seen people yeah. living in Philadelphia that were like, oh, it's a blight. You know, it's a blight and we should get rid of it. You know, I, a city councilman or something, an alderman, anyone. I would, I'm kind of with you in that I would have, especially if you wanted to this movie treads very well-worn territory, but it never quite strays into caricature beyond mm -hmm. beyond hitting the beats. Yeah. Like, okay, this is a young man. He is now sent to live with his estranged father, who they don't get along. He meets a friend who takes mm -hmm. him down the dark path. He flip-flops back and forth. He eventually settles on the side of good. Lobster. <laughs> like, we're following the path, but Cole's not... He's not a caricature. He's a fairly blank character, right? He's someone mm -hmm. that you, that, that the audience is kind of meant to put themselves in as much as anything else. Smush is not a caricature. They're, they're not deep characters, but they're not. You know, they're... So, what I love about Smush was that he was very, he was probably the most real character in this thing for me because I know of discussions and I know of people where I think I might have talked about this with somebody else on a different podcast, but like there, I mean, it might have even been you. Um, this now that I think about it, I think it was Candyman once again. But I was thinking about how with Smush, 
you know, like he's he's dealing drugs, but he's saving up money so that he can leave Philadelphia and buy a ranch out west and have and raise his own horses. Like the culture's still in him. He is still in the culture, but he recognizes that it's a bit limiting and that he has to make some moves in order to live his dream. So whatever gets him there, right? That that that's yeah. sort of his his character makeup. Where he's not like the worst guy ever. Oh no. But he's made decisions based on the resources and paths that were laid in front of him. You know, he made the best of a bad situation, that kind of thing. Um, but what I loved about him was the scene where he's showing Cole his file full of properties. And I was thinking about how, like, I think I told you, like, there were gang members who are like paying for um there are gangs that are paying for gang members to go to college because they need people, they need lawyers in the gang and they need accountants and they need people that understand how to buy property and property law and all of that. And so like there's a concerted effort to get some of these kids off the street and into college so they can come back and protect the gang from law, you know, and, and make, you know, and wash money and things like that. For the and record, gonna... anyone, anyone able to game that system to get mm -hmm. a, an illegal street gang to pay for you to go to college, don't, <laughs> don't go back. Uh, please don't like, take the money and run <laughs> yes go to college get your degree and then relocate <laughs> but that's what i was thinking about with smush you know he you know he's definitely this guy who's like yeah like who, who really wants to be a drug dealer but i don't have a lot of options here and i and i want out this is my ticket out this is my basketball this is my football this is my rap this is you know any number of things to get out of the shitty situation so i didn't hate smush and I was, you no, know, they, and, they and did a good not job. the worst character ever. No, like and he could have been. He really easily yeah. could have been someone who was just grating. Like, and you don't understand either his appeal. Like, you don't understand his appeal beyond. Well, he'll let you do whatever you want, and he's got right. money. Like that, and you know, I can be with my friend who will let me do whatever I want and will pay for everything. He doesn't have a horse living in the living room. Yeah, like I. So you can kind of. So you could easily turn that person into, you know, mm -hmm. someone that you on the outside look at and go, okay, you're the worst. Right. Please stop. Yeah. And instead, he's not quite that. I'm with you there. Mm -hmm. He's not, he's not that, you know, he's not the guy who's just trying to make the city. He's not trying to make ironic about a drug dealer, but this is not someone invested in the fall of society. Sure. This is someone who sees fast easy put air quotes around that if you feel so inclined fast easy money in the drug trade to facilitate mm -hmm. a dream rather than something that is more honest and would take longer sure all right any last words about concrete cowboy if not we'll move on to your pick which was hell or high water no this is i think we've kind of said most of what needs to be said about this it's not a bad movie but it it just kind of exists all right so i asked you you know not wanting to be a dictator uh, I asked you to pick <laughs> you keep you you sir keep <laughs> trying to insist that this is not a dictatorship and then summarily rejecting all attempts at democracy. <laughs> <laughs> the peasants are revolting. You're right, they stink on ice. Um No 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 that, that's not that is not the appropriate way to make that joke, sir. Allow me to I want to talk about the movie. Hang on, no, no. Here's how you make that joke. So okay. say, say that again about the peasants. The peasants are revolting. They're always re they've always been revolting, son, but now they're rebelling. <laughs> All right, well done. Anyway, Anyone who gets that reference can have a cookie. So, okay, there were. If we had actually waited a little while longer, there was yet another western that was coming out that we could have attached to this. But I kind of wanted to. Get, we didn't have anything for this week, and I kind of wanted to do 
um, Cry Macho relatively close to when it was coming out, which I meant to say this before, this would have been a damn you Hollywood had I known that it was going to actually be in theaters. But, you know, you live and you learn. In any case, um, I picked the one that I wanted. I picked the new one that generated the whole topic in the first place. And then I was like, pick a Western. Pick any Western. I don't give a shit anymore. Just just pick one that makes you happy. And you went, hell or high water. Why hell or high water? Okay. Several reasons, believe it or not. <laughs> Limit it to 10. Uh, first of all, I like the movie. It's a good I mean, start. That's... I really do. I really do like this movie. I saw it when it came out, and it just couldn't quite fit into the schedule uh, that year. Like it just. Okay. It, so to be clear, this comes out in August of 2016. Um, I don't know if what we were doing in August of 2016. Probably not this because we needed a break. Because if I remember correctly, that was one of those like, okay, well, that might have been the year we did Peach Dragon, and then and, and you doing Peach Dragon with a gun to your head. And then it was like, I need to stop for this for a while. We'll see you in October. Um, I, on, I, I, I imagine I was, that's what happened. I'm pretty sure I can tell you exactly what we were doing as soon as I find the appropriate subcategory right. here. So, yes, this came out while you're doing that. So this was directed by David McKenzie, um, who also worked on Young Adam, Halimfo, Perfect Sense, Startup. Uh, it stars Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, who's awesome in this. And Gil Birmingham. And um, like I said, it came out August 12th, 2016. It debuted at Cannes on May 16th of 2016. Uh, it had a budget of 12 million and it was actually fairly profitable ish. Uh, made 37.9 million and it was like, nominated for, um, it received four nominations for an Academy Award, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Bridges, and Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing. Uh, it doesn't look like it won any of those. Sadly, uh, it did not. Okay, you got your. It was not. Not only though was it nominated for that, it was nominated for seemingly every other award on the planet. It looks like. Um, uh, yeah, and, the, and won uh, quite a few of them. For the record, what we were doing the month of August in the year of 2016 was We did Suicide Squad, then Pete's Dragon, <laughs> and then I think we both kind of went. <laughs> okay. No more me thinks I'm driving. <laughs> uh. Because I saw a few movies after this that we didn't review, obviously, but I mm -hmm. deeply, I, I mean, I love Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah. Uh, which came out around the same time. And uh, yeah, we basically took that. And then I think we took most of September off, too, the way I'm looking at it now. We so also weren't doing prestige pictures at no. the time. Like, I would say within the last year or two is when we just kind of went, like, let's just talk about what's out there and not worry necessarily about it all has to be Marvel and Star Wars. Um, so in an alternate universe, we might have reviewed this just because just that was the thing of the week. Yeah. But um, anyway. Well, so let, point, so, hang on. So you mentioned, again, kind of the why. That's part of it. Uh, I like the the director is the director I like well enough. The writer for this was, I believe, uh, Taylor Sheridan. Mm-hmm who is, uh, has done some really good stuff. Uh, he contributed to some of the better episodes of uh, Sons of Anarchy. Mm -hmm. He was one of the writers on Sicario in 2015. He wrote this in 2016. Then he both wrote and directed the end of this particular unofficial trilogy. The, it's comprised of Sicario, Hell or High Water, and then in 2017, Wind River. Okay. Which is another very, very... Like, all three of those are quality movies. Uh, 
which one's your favorite is largely a matter of personal preference. This was also the movie, and this might seem really weird, but this was the movie that I first saw when I realized Chris Pine can act. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, if you... If you've only again, this came out in sixteen, so he'd done a few other things, but at this point he was mostly it was mostly um He'd done Star Trek by this point. Yeah, like like you've seen his take on William Shatner. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you've seen him as uh Steve Trevor in the first Wonder Woman. Yeah. And it's not like he is actively bad in these movies. He's not. But you wouldn't exactly watch him in either of those and go, Boy, this is a man that can act. And then you see this, and he just completely vanishes into this role. It is genuinely amazing. Isn't it amazing what happens, depending on what the project is for some of these actors? You know, like, because I I, I think Chris Pine is an example of a greater issue with, with Hollywood. And that is sometimes they just want you for your face and your abs. And, you know, a competent line reading will suffice. And then you're asked to actually be a dramatic actor. And it's like, holy crap, this beautiful face can actually act. You, and I, and you're like, or, why aren't we doing more of that? I am so... Uh, I can't say angry because I'd be faking it. I am borderline disgusted mm-hmm. with how little people have been asking of Chris Pine after seeing what he is capable of doing. Like, this man is a great actor. Mm-hmm. And you've got him doing a bad ripoff of Matthew McConaughey <laughs> in A Wrinkle in Time. Or you decide that he's nothing but eye candy in the body of another man in Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, here's the other thing about that, and this is to Chris Pine's credit. He's the best actor in either of those Wonder Woman movies. I'm just imagining him being on set and him like, I can do it differently. I can do it this way. What do you think about this? What if I do it this way? What's my motivation here? And the director of any of these projects just looking no, no, at him going, you're so pretty. Please stop talking. And, and Patty Jenkins hitting him, <laughs> like spraying with a squirt bottle. <laughs> bad. Bad Chris Pine. <laughs> we then, look, we then, hired you for your... Just then totally desperately... No, 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 no. <laughs> then desperately trying to get Kristen Wiig to do anything. <laughs> Oh, poor Christmas wig. All right, let's get into Hell or High Water here. Um, great, great piece of business, but let's tell them what the movie's all about. So, Hell or High Water follows the adventures of two brothers, primarily, uh, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster. They have been robbing banks in West Texas. This is set, I forget the exact year this is set. Um, it might have been more or less contemporary to 2016 17, so. You know, financial crash, give or take. Um, they are uh, they're robbing banks because their family ranch was their mother bought into one of those reverse mortgage ske- schemes. I shouldn't call them a scheme. They're a perfectly legitimate. I don't want to get into the whole thing there. But their mother had done a reverse mortgage on the ranch so that she could keep it until she died. And the brothers have subsequently found out that there's a lot of oil on their property. Mm -hmm. And 
the bank, once they then are able to effectively foreclose on this property, will then have it and can lease it out or resell it, and they will be the ones reaping all the profits. And the brother's plan is to rob different branches of this same bank, launder the money through Indian casinos. So they show up, they put all the money, that you know, they convert all their cash into chips, they spend a little bit of time gambling, they cash out, they come back, and then they are then getting this money put into a uh, family trust. At which point, at the end of this thing, by a specific date, they can then just buy their property outright from the bank, give them the middle finger, and begin uh, drilling the oil that's on their land. And so this is their plan. And they are being chased by a couple of Texas Rangers, specifically Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham. Who, are, who don't figure out exactly what's going on, but figure out enough to start really chasing them down. We can get into specific sequences and plot beats in the uh, later, but suffice to say, this all goes bad at one point. Uh, the brother Ben, uh, sorry, Ben Foster's character, wants to accelerate the process, whereas Chris Pine's character is a bit more of the opinion that, no... Like, like, he is Walter White at the beginning of Breaking Bad, right? <laughs> I need $315,000, whatever the number was. Mm -hmm. I need this. I need it by this date. Here's how we do it. And let's not get crazy here. Right. And Ben Foster's character goes, okay. Or. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> there's this bigger bank in a bigger city right next to the police station but boy could we clean up <laughs> like so this is kind of their central conflict between the two of them and eventually this backfires they get chased down one of the things that kind of gets brought up is that ben foster's character is a bit of a screw-up he's got a bit of a criminal record he's kind of been the one kicking around doing nothing chris pine is divorced but has you an ex-wife and a couple of kids and has never really been in trouble with the law. In fact, his squeaky clean record is what really throws everything off mm -hmm. for a lot of the people trying to find them because Ben Foster's character would not be this controlled. Like, And the, the kind of combination of their two personalities and planning is what's leading to them being successful. Again, eventually they figure out who ben foster really is they uh they have a heist that goes badly chris pine is able to escape in no small part because ben foster uh stages a last stand to buy him time and kills uh gil birmingham so uh, jeff bridges partner bridges shoots and kills ben foster he then tracks down chris pine after chris pine is successfully uh, bought his family ranch back and he doesn't keep it for himself. He actually gives it to his kids. Yep. Further, like, like he, he's always like one step removed from anything you could point to as like, like motivation and evidence for him to do it. And, uh, anyway, so Jeff Bridges finally goes to confront him on his personal property and like, and by the way, at this point, Jeff Bridges is retired. Yeah, he's he not law enforcement, which is which I, I make that point because Chris Pine makes that point in the movie. He was like, you ain't law enforcement and now you're trespassing. And Jeff Bridges is like, I just want to talk. Yeah, I, uh, he is retired at this point. They have a great conversation mm -hmm. 
where Jeff Bridges goes, you know, I don't quite know why all this happened. Like, I know why your brother would do this. I mean, I, I've been, I'm, you know, I'm, he's retired. I was a you know, ranger for however many years. I've been around, I've been around shitheads like him my whole life. Like, he makes sense. You don't. And I'm not quite sure what to make of all this, but your brother killed my partner. And maybe weren't, maybe our business isn't settled yet. And maybe you went through all this just to, you know, get this land and uh, you just to get your own personal land back. And then his family drives up and this is when he says, it's not mine, buddy. It's theirs. Right. And it, it, the whole conversation ends on it because, uh, and Bridges is left with this little bit of, you know, this doesn't quite make sense to me, and I'd really like to make sense of this. Right. And they finish it off with Toby suggests, Toby's saying, you know, at some point, anytime you want to meet up, we can finish the conversation. The implication being, if you want to have, if you want to, you know, have a firefight and figure this thing out, I'm happy to bring you some peace. And uh, Bridges going, you know, maybe we'll have to see what happens. So, I got a question for you. All right. It this sort of happened. This was a happy accident, but it's something I, I'm just not thinking about as I as we process these three pictures. These aren't just westerns. Um, these aren't just westerns currently on a streaming service. There's another common thread here. They all, in their own different ways, deal with what it means to be a man. And I was thinking specifically about Hell or High Water, and. Well, it's not directly commenting on manliness or what it means to be a man. They've got bigger fish to fry. What comes out in the movie is the relationship between the brothers, how they, they chide one another. They, you know, they give each other shit. And you and I have talked about, we actually talked about this with the Magnificent Seven. But I'm glad that that was another happy accident that I just happened to re-air it at the same time we were talking about this. So it's fresh in my mind. We talked about how some of the best parts of that movie are when... Um, Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington and Vincent D'Onofrio are all just giving each other jazz. You know, yeah. they're all giving each other shit. And they just, they, you know, we talked about sort of the lost art of men talking to one another. That is, and, a, that is something that so few directors and writers mm -hmm. ever really get a feel for. Well, there, there's definitely a, a, what's seemingly a common practice in Hollywood of not wanting to portray realistic men on camera. Men are always Joey or Tony Soprano. You know, those are your choices in most cases. Well, <laughs> most men in film. Joey from are, Friends, in case anyone didn't get that. I, I know what you meant. Like, most I know men, you know what I meant, but, I, you know. Most, well, let me add the third character in there just very briefly. Most mm -hmm. men in film are either. Joey from Friends. So you have Joey. What do they call people like Joey from Friends now? I feel like there's some stupid contemporary internet slang for. Oh, it, Okay, no, 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 there is. I remember. Okay. He's a himbo. Ugh. What? <laughs> Go to the corner. <laughs> no, no Twitter language here. I uh, feel bad saying it, but let's not pretend I'm wrong. Like, like, so you have that guy. Mm -hmm. You have Harvey Weinstein, or you have yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah. Like, like th th this is what you have. You either have the ideal, almost idealized hero, mm -hmm. the shallow sex obsessed moron right or the villain who may or may not con 
you know, brush better evil and they will hurt you as Hallmark movies tell us all the time. My point being, unless unless you're the single dad in the small town wearing flannel everywhere who wants to just show some uh, some lawyer from New York the true meaning of Christmas. The utterly inoffensive, desexualized, broken man in a flannel. You you are. Oh, no, no. You are Arnie from uh, Jet from Terminator Dark Fate, right? I was thinking of the, <laughs> I was thinking of the the show that my wife loved, used to love to watch. Um, oh God, she was she. The, I can't remember the name of the old show. So, so people are I know that are listening as we're streaming this. You quick type it in the chat. Uh, the mom was just in the Mighty Ducks uh, Game Changers. Uh, Michelle, um, Melissa McCarthy used to be on the show. Anyway, um, yeah, there was a guy in that just utterly desexualized and wearing oh, black. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, you're thinking of, oh, the guy with the hat from Gilmore Girls. That's the one, Gilmore Girls. All right, good for you. Anyway, point being. Um, I, don't know why, I don't know why I know that, but I do. Yeah, really. I don't see much of a Gilmore Girls guy, but hey. I, like I said, <laughs> I, I have no earthly idea why I remember that, but I do, so. The nice thing about Hell or High Water is the is the common language the bo- the brothers speak to each other, um, how they kid each other, how they. My one of my favorite bits of dialogue is actually an ADR line. Okay, right. so there's a scene in the gas station, um, and uh, Ben Foster's in the car, and um, Chris Pine is getting gas, and then he's going in to get snacks from the gas station like you do, and guy drives up and he's blaring music, and they get into a thing, <laughs> and the guy pulls a gun and Chris, Chris Pine comes storming into frame and just beats the living shit out of the guy comes around to his friend. And the friend's like, he had it coming and, you know, and begs off. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and Chris Pine, and this is all wordless on Chris Pine's part. He is just, he just a stares. picture of wordless violence. Um, beats the shit out of the guy, nearly beats the shit out of the other guy, but beg, but he gets begged off. And so he got, he goes away gets into the car, the car pulls out of the gas station, and 80 yard as they're pulling away from the gas station is Ben Foster going, um, hey, this isn't what I wanted. This is like the Mr. Pib. He's like, only assholes drink Mr. Pib. And Chris Pine <laughs> goes, drink up. You know? <laughs> I remember. It's a good one. I laughed so hard at that. But it's, it's you know, it, you saw it in the trailer, um, you know, like they're play fighting in the yard and stuff, and like there's that there's that great scene in the casino when you know when chris pine is just sitting he is the one sitting at the bar with their big thing of like with their you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of chips Mm -hmm. because he's just here to be here for a few hours and then this is how they launder money is they come out of the casino with a bunch of money and hey we won that gambling and you can't prove otherwise so this is legal now like that's the theoretical loophole and he's just sitting there trying not to drink anything while his brother's over there gambling. And he just gives him these looks as he's at the craps table on occasion. Just well, yeah. an even better one, you know, oh, is, oh, oh, is oh, the, the woman who picks on him at the bar. The, when he picks up, when Ben picks up the woman, because <laughs> like, Ben picks up like the hostess at the, mm-hmm. or uh, at the casino. And <laughs> this is a great shot where they where they start sleeping together, and then we pull over to see that Chris Pine's on the other bed, mm-hmm. facing away from them with his jacket tucked up over his head. Well, <laughs> well, I was thinking about the woman who comes on to Chris Pine at the yeah. bar in the second time that they launder money, and Ben Foster's like, "Did you see my like? Did you see my brother as a mark?" And he just like lays into her, and Pine <laughs> finally clutches his pearls, almost like it's a, little, it's a bit rough there, Ben. 
Um, but the other thing about this, and the other side of this, and these guys aren't related. These they're not brothers. They're brothers in arms, but they're not oh, blood I, brothers. I, I love the and, and um and uh, the deputy. Uh, what the hell is his, his name? His partner. I love their relationship. Well, I, I, I was I was thinking about this. Like we talked about. We talked about the Magnificent Seven. We talked about our own, just offline. We talked about our own little group of friends, little community that we built with me as the dictator. And, um, but we give each other shit, you know? All the time. All endlessly. Um, we, you know, our little chat that we created that I renamed, like, we give each other endless amounts of shit. And we chide each other. And it's all supposed to be good-natured. And for the most part, it is. Because it, that's that's how guy friends talk, and we talk in a very different way than women talk, and we don't always understand each other's languages, but somehow we make it through this mortal coil. And so I love how Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham, like Jeff Bridges, <laughs> the lost art of of the funny racist joke. You know, he's Boy, sitting there. <laughs> you're not kidding. He's sitting there, and he's clearly not racist, and he but he's. Like, it would be like me giving you shit about being a Mormon or you giving me shit about being Jewish. You know, it's like, it's just a, it's a part of our identity. You kind of give it or take it and, you know, some more, more or less. But it's there to be playfully picked at. And that's all Jeff Bridges is doing. And it's like, I kind of miss when society thought that was okay. You know, I, I miss like the the Mel Brooks style of humor of I, aren't we all just different and wonderful snowflakes and willing to be picked on for it? I just miss when people could look at a what is clearly a relationship between two people. Friends. And just kind of accept that their language is not going to be your language. Yeah. Somebody brought this up on TikTok about like love language is not being a real thing, but I call it what you want, but there are definitely ways in which people communicate as exemplified by hell or high water between the two brothers and Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham that other people may not get or, um, or utilize in any way, but it's, but it's their language and they're allowed to have it and they should not be judged or canceled or whatever the stupid word yeah. is these days for it. In any case, that's not what the movie is about, but it's there. It, it would be and it would be it, wrong for us not to talk about it at least to some extent because it's a big part of this movie. No, the, the relationships between people, uh, these uh, these two sets of brothers. I mean, again, one of them is brothers in arms and just a relationship fostered by years of being partners in <laughs> a profession that fosters close relationships in a way that very few others can, and the other is legitimate, you know, familial blood bonds. Yeah, and each of them losing half of that. Yeah. And that final conversation between the two of them in that particular respect is is all the more fascinating when you kind of put their their respective griefs into it. Like they're looking at each other and Chris Pine is seeing the man that shot my brother in the head. Mm -hmm. And he's seeing the brother of the man who shot his best friend and brother in the head and wouldn't have been there if not for you in the first place because your brother would have been doing another nickel stint up at the state penitentiary for some for some dumbass mistake but you with your planning and your intelligence were able to point him in a direction that made this outcome inevitable so you're as much to blame as the guy who pulled the trigger and that that friction there what i like about this movie other than the relationship which is a big part of it and really one of the the writing of this movie is near perfect um really oh, yeah. no complaints there the acting is obviously uh great to awesome it, it is it is one I, of the more perfect movies i've ever 
I've ever watched. And it's really funny because like I, I remember seeing the trailer for it and going, oh, I want to see that. And then never did because Marvel um, or whatever I, it was doing at the time. I really can't stress this enough to anyone mm -hmm. out there. If you've seen Chris Pine in Star Trek and nothing else. You haven't seen Chris Pine. See this. See this movie. This oh. is where you will understand the depths of that man's talent. What I want to say to kind of close out this discussion, um, and I'll give you the final word on this, is Hell or High Water talks about the inequities of um, the, the capitalist system. It, you know, there it speaks to what is justice. That was actually just shown in the trailer. They actually said, you know, justice isn't always whatever it was. But in any case, it, it does talk, I think, in some ways about um, the perception of justice, and you know, and you know it with the idea of the mother taking the reverse loan and people, you know, them potentially losing this property and the, you know, and all this other stuff, you know, and the whole concept, there's a million ways they could have written the story. They chose to specifically write about two guys robbing a bank, only this one particular bank of its money to then pay them back with it. And they even do like very directly address that in the movie when they, I can't remember where I saw him from. I, I had it and then I lost it when they were talking to the one guy in the other bank and he's basically telling him, I think what you're paying, I think what you're doing is just br like punk rock and brilliant. And I'm with you all the way. And he's, I'm going to give you some tips on how to get away with it. Um, you know, in, in terms of dealing with the bank. Um, yeah. I like the punk rock sort of rebellious spirit of this movie well, about giving it back to the powers that be. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned punk rock, which was a very small movement. Mm -hmm. I see this, and this is just... This, Punk Rock it, is my stand-in for rebellion. No, 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 no. I, I get what you mean. Mm -hmm. This is just to say this speaks to our different experiences. Mm -hmm. This is pure Western to me. Okay, please talk so, about that. You don't get much more Western than trying to save the family farm from the evil <laughs> banker who's trying to foreclose on it. We haven't like, got the money for the mortgage on the farm. Like, th this is almost stock, right? Like, <laughs> as far as just, like, base setups, right? this is fairly stock. But not only setting it in a modern time, mm -hmm. but, uh, again, setting it against a very specific backdrop. Again, especially, this came out in 16. It was written a little bit before that. I forget exactly when. Uh, but it, th that script had been kicking around for a couple of years, at least. It was on the blacklist at least once. Mm -hmm. So this is written in the wake of the financial collapse. Right. And everything that that entailed. So you're, you've got a, a fairly traditional setup in that respect. Just set it... I'm going to repeat something I mentioned on the Magnificent Seven review because I still think it's accurate. If you want to make a Western anytime in the last, going forward or anytime in the last, I don't know, 10 years, give or take, mm -hmm. there's not a tremendous appetite for setting things in the Old West these days, unless, sure. you, want to, unless you want to do something like Deadwood. Or maybe put a giant mechanical spider in there. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Dude, <laughs> I, 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 got, I got my giant mechanical spider reference in for the year. I'm good. <laughs> you know I've seen that movie, right? I have not, but I do like making fun of it. I hate you so much now for that. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
you don't get to reference that until you watch that movie anymore. Oh my god, go already. <laughs> but the point is, you there's not a tremendous appetite for setting for doing the old west, for doing the western in the old west as westerns have been done for as they were done in, you know, the 50s through the 80s. Yeah. So this leaves you with two options. You either take contemporary filmmaking sensibilities and set them in the old west or you take old, or you take what the sensibilities and themes of the western genre and set it in the and move it up to the contemporary setting. Mm-hmm. Now, which of these works in each individual case is more a byproduct of personal taste and the talent of the people involved. The Magnificent Seven chose to make a contemporary action movie set in the Old West. Yeah. With eh, results. Yeah, we, we we hit that pretty hard in the in the review. Hell or High Water takes all of takes again the old setting of two brothers trying to save the family ranch from the bank, trying to foreclose on it. Granted, it adds oil as the meta, as the desire instead of just the land itself, but that's really a that's not really a big deal surprisingly it's, enough yeah it's really neither here nor there it's just a thing it, it's important for him because he wants it's important for chris pine because he wants to set up his family for the future back well, in the day you would do this with just the land well it's now also it's the oil it's also a redemptive a redemptive story for chris pine in that he yeah. knows that he's been an absent father to his children and this is his way of making up for it this is this is his way of trying to get to heaven you know, in the sense of I'm, I must start to do well um, before I oh, before I, I'm completely lost in the wilderness. So, hang on, before I, I you bent something I want to circle back to, but before I do, let me finish my point. Yeah, it takes those themes and just moves them to 2016, and right. then, and you obviously have to change some of the window dressing, but at its core, this is a western movie. I. I to a similar degree, but with very, very different results and with some very different sensibilities, the same is kind of true of No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. It's very much a Western, just set in nineteen, with set in nineteen eighty. And I mean, No Country for Old Men is maybe my second favorite movie of all time. I I have almost nothing bad to say about anything related to that picture, and we get something similar here. Uh, just uh, and that's the point, and which is the point, like the the themes of the Western are still very, very relevant and can still tell great stories. You just have to be a smart enough writer and a good enough director to figure out how to blend them with life, Mm -hmm. with a contemporary setting instead of how life was in the 1800s. To the point about Chris Pine and his, like, seeking a redemptive story, that bit where he tells his son, you know, you're going to hear a lot of things about what I've done. And his son, kind of knowing a little bit what's coming, preempts him and goes, I, it's okay, Dad, I love you. I, I mean, they're estranged, but they're not at odds, right? right. Like, this, is, this is the father that shows up, you know, every uh, month or so. And you, you have fun with him when he shows up, but he's not there all the time. Right. So there's no, there's no real animosity in that respect. And he says, Dad, it's okay, I won't believe him. And he says, no, you better believe him. I did everything I'm gonna, they're going to say I did. Like he's, while he is seeking redemption, he it's an interesting character beat decision for him there, to not try and have his son grow up glorifying his 
crime. Like I made these bad choices. Right. And I want you to know I made these bad choices and I did it for you and to make sure you and your mother and your sister are taken care of. Well, but boy, did I screw the pooch here. Well, it's funny because Idris Elba says And I'm not thing. a hero. Idris Elba says the same thing to Cole, basically. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I was a fuck up and I put you with your mother because I knew that you were going to have to grow up in a world, um, the same world that I did. And I need you to have the armor to deal with it so that you don't completely become a fuck up the way that I did. Well, uh, Harp. Harp was in uh, prison, I think, when Cole was yeah. born. It's kind of the point there. Like, I knew I was going away, mm -hmm. and I knew you were going to have to grow up like I did without a father. Yeah, yeah. And, and that sucks, and I'm sorry, and, which is what he says. And I, I, mm -hmm. but I couldn't do anything else. But right. like, there was, I had made too many bad choices at that point. You know, yeah. This is what I can give you now. Right. And all we can do is hope for the better for the future and then move forward. And that's the same kind of conversation that Chris Pine has here is I did bad things. Mm -hmm. you know, bank robbery is not it's a romanticized crime, but people <laughs> get hurt. Right. And not I mean, everyone likes to pretend it's only the faceless, nameless banking entity existing in the big city hundreds of miles away. No, people get hurt when you do that. Sure. That's and, a pleasant experience to be held up at gunpoint. I've never been held up at gunpoint. I will take your word for it. I I had a gun in my face at least once in my life. It's not pleasant. I'm gonna, it's I something you remember. Like you lived in New York in the hood back in the day. <laughs> you also happened to you tried to make it in California for a bit. I imagine people have tried to sell you drugs, tried to proposition you, and have tried to rob you. I've led an interesting life. Point being. Hell yeah. or High Water, I think, has some very relatable themes. I think people, I think unless you're already a Western Western fan, I think people are sort of, um, I, I think people are turned off by the Western genre. It seems almost antithetical to <sighs> modern sensibilities. This is not what people, you know, George Lucas had to dress up in part a Western as a space opera, but he was kind of making a Western. Um, in in places, know, yes. You know, and and that's not that's not exclusive to George Lucas. It's 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 other people have done that too. You know, the space western, that kind of a thing. People, a west. It, it's kind of like speed. You know, speed on a bus, speed on a plane. Da, 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 da. You know, people have done the. It, it's a western in a thing. It's a western in space. It's a western here. Um, and that I think because I think ultimately, while the aesthetic of the western maybe a turn off to people, they don't like the horses. They don't like the you know the sandy frontiers. Um, they, you know, they, they, they don't like sort of the undercurrent implications of widespread racism throughout the West, um, you know, and all of that, all of what that represents. But I think can you tell people to grow up a little bit about that. Point? You can try, but have you been on Twitter lately? Yes, um, I'm on Twitter right now, as a matter of fact, my point being that I think at its core, the Western structure is probably one of the most solid film bases you can for uh, hanging any number of themes on your movie. Um, it's not one that even I've considered a whole lot because it, because I am one of those people who, if you give me, you know, spaceships or you give me horses, I pick spaceships nine out of ten times. But having had this conversation, and I think this is really the the, I I think this is the. Um, the great purpose of having a conversation like this is when you suddenly realize, oh, wow, the Western genre is outstanding. Sure, it's got its turkeys like any genre, but I think for the most part, 
if you're trying, if you have an idea, you know, if you want to speak to any number of sociopolitical themes, you you don't do bad by deciding I'm going to hang those themes on this Western. The Western is strong. And I'll give you the final word on Hell or High Water or that in general, and then we'll get out of here. Um, Hell or High Water is a brilliant movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Hundred uh, It's on Hulu right now. Yeah. Uh, by all, I, I can't recommend it enough. Like if, if you even loosely think you're going to enjoy that. Um, okay. Here's the other thing about Hell or High Water. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, the writer. Um, that man writes, and with the proper director, uh, with the proper director, this bout this comes across very, very well. I don't think there's a better writer of compelling, realistic action than Sheridan. Mm -hmm. um, the entire, se I mean, the sequence in, in Hell or High Water in particular, where they get chased out of town by all the locals with their guns. Mm -hmm. Then to buy his brother time, Ben Foster grabs his automatic weapon, hops out of the car on the, like, stops his car on the road because they're being chased by everyone in their cars, gets out and just starts shooting at the other cars. <laughs> and everyone just stops and then reverses back out of frame. Like, he creates... If you watch a lot of... I'm going to say Marvel movies, but I don't mean that purely as a shot at Marvel. Sure you don't. If, no, no, no. I, I, I absolutely mean this. If you watch a lot of, like, Marvel or DC or... Mm -hmm the mission impossible movies or the DC comic book movie. Like, like I say, Marvel is shorthand for that kind of movie. So not limited only to the movies actually produced by Marvel. You're used to these ridiculous, utterly ridiculous action sequences. Yeah. Some of which, some of which work more than others. Right? Sure. I, I, I'll, I'll give them that credit. Some of them do work. Some of them don't, but you're used to that. Used to these big, yeah. insane, set pieces there's the over-the-top marvel action we've come to expect you're used to you know a, a good emotional fight core than being quote-unquote upstaged by your wannabe cthulhu and leftover assets from jormungandr fighting it out for at the end of shang chi like that's what you're used to taylor sheridan has a wonderful way of taking just gunshots and Taking you out of the cinematic experience in the follow only in the sense that this feels real. Can I tell you how refreshing it was to see Ben Foster get shot and just slump over? Yeah. You know, it wasn't the Zack Snyder hour and a half of slow motion. You didn't see a close up of blood spray careening across the frame as he falls dramatically. Well, leaving the, an angel of his dead body in the... He just fucking slumps over. To the point same, where I wasn't sure if he was dead or not. It was great. Same thing with um, uh, Jeff Bridges' uh, partner being shot. Yeah. like it, that's Because that's what happens when people get shot. Like, Taylor Sheridan, to his eternal... This is true of this movie. It's true of Sicario. Sicario has a few other issues that go along with it, but it's mostly true of Sicario. It's absolutely true of Wind River, which has maybe the best pure gunfight in movie in put to film in the last eight years. And it's true of, uh, he did a movie recently starring Angelina Jolie called those who wish me dead. And it's a little bit lighter on the gunplay, but there's a couple of sequences in particular that watching them, I'm reminded if you're used to the over-the-top ridiculous stupid, 
occasionally just pointing an automatic weapon at a car and unloading the clip feels like nothing. There's a talent to grounding the audience in the world to the point where you would, you know, because that's terrifying. If yeah. you're driving down the street and somebody over there whips out an AK-47 <laughs> and un and empties a 30-round clip into traffic, like if you don't get hit, you still have to go change your pants. Right. And as an entertainment experience, you're used to there's 40 guys and three of them are on automatic or three of them are on 50 caliber machine guns. Somebody in the back has a bazooka. And there's dark side hovering above them going, okay, if you can't do this, then I'll do it myself. And I know I'm mixing my, my metaphor. I'm mixing them there a little bit. So to then take a, someone who is jaded to the realities of action movies and make them react to a realistic, simplistic set piece that is nothing but men and firearms like that deserves credit because that's not something that most people are. Everyone seems to think it has to be bigger to make the audience care. Right. Do the small stuff, do it right. And that's all you need. You know, Ben Foster hiding in the hills, trying to snipe at law enforcement is infinitely more tense than what? 80% of the action sequences in black widow. Yeah. It's watching him snipe from the hills. Uh, at the end of Hell or High Water, and then get shot by Jeff Bridges. It was an incredibly, yeah, what well, was an incredibly tense scene, and because 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 again, we're not having to worry about like sequels and shit like that. You really don't know how this is going to end, or who, or, or you know, there, there, you, all you have to do is tell a nice story. You don't have to worry about other things, and and so when Black Widow is falling from the moon. To <laughs> on her head even into an ordinary drinking glass, and you're like, "Who gives a shit?" You know she lives. She's in the next fucking movie. Well, you know, technically, you know she's already dead, but she has to live until she gets there. Anyway, uh, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. You're on a road trip. You've only All got right. two CDs. It's either David Allen Coe or Merle Haggard. Which one do you listen to? Ooh, yeah. I go with the radio. <laughs> I go with the wind in my hair. Well, if you're interested, if oh, you're hang, on, hang on, since you brought up road trips, oh god, I just no, no, want to no, do no, the no. Amazon spot. I know. Let, let me set you up for this. <laughs> okay, Mark. Every good road trip has to start with a song by one band. Is it really Nelson? It's ZZ Top. Uh, okay, sure. If you, not the whole time, but the first song you listen to on a road trip. Mm -hmm. Should be sharp dressed man, Lagrange, legs, legs. If you're, <coughs> I'll tell you a story real quick. All right, mm -hmm. um, we're gonna in Amazon dot Amazon Music dot com slash w two m network free thirty days. I gotta mostly, tell you the story. Hang on, mostly if you have Amazon Music dot if you have Amazon Music courtesy of our link in particular, you won't have to choose between two CDs that were left <laughs> over from your grandfather. Speaking of speaking of you anachronistic will, and antithetical, <laughs> you will have seven. You will have a streaming library of more than seventy million songs at your disposal. All right, I, I'm telling you this story because it's hilarious. Also, we actually have people watching this, and I and I want to make them laugh. I hope I hope I will make you laugh because I know at least one of them's a parent, um, maybe even All two. Right. So I took my I took my kids to go see Clutch, and 
they've been to a bunch of concerts before, but they've mostly been in like baseball fields or the amphitheater here, you know, big, you know, thousand plus people venues. This is the first time they've been to a place that only held 850. It was a bar in Pensacola. Um, but this is where the band that I like was, was touring. Um, and sometimes they do bigger venues. Sometimes they do smaller venues like this one. In, in this, in this particular case, they went with a smaller venue. Um, point being, even though it was an all ages show, certainly was a very adult crowd. Even, you know, people, I wasn't the only one who brought my kids. There were plenty of kids there and they were all dropping like flies by the time the, the band came out. Uh, a lot of bedtimes. In any case, the point of the story. So my daughter, big feminist that she is, as we all know, if you've been listening to us long enough, um, gets offended, not easily, but certainly by, by things that she deems inappropriate. There's a guy standing in front of her. Uh, he's wearing a t-shirt. T-shirt has naked woman splayed out, just spread eagle, hands akimbo, legs akimbo, the whole nine yards, not a stitch of clothing on her. And above it, and in, in the back of her, is a pot leaf. And the t-shirt reads, Smoke pot, eat twat. <laughs> and I didn't notice it. My wife pointed it out to me. And she knew, and she pointed it out because she looked at my daughter. And my daughter has this face going. You know, kind of looks like Kelly Kawako from, from fucking uh, The Big Bang Theory. And Wait, well, hold, hold on, hold on. <laughs> pronounce that lady's last name again because that will amuse me. Kelly Kawako? That is not how you pronounce her name. All right. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from, <laughs> from The Big Bang Theory. Um, in any case, so, and, and, so when my wife caught my attention and she pointed out my daughter, my daughter still has that face on. And my, my, my wife is hysterically laughing. She was like, your daughter is so mad right now. And she knows enough not to be a Karen about the whole situation and like tap the guy and be like, I'm a 10 year old girl and your shirt offends me. But she quietly was um, uh, mortified was the word I was looking for. So, modification. It runs in the family. In any case, that is a long way of saying AmazonMusic.com. Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network for a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited trial. Uh, mortify your friends with uh, all manner of um, offensive music. All right. That's it. That's our triple feature for the evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Concrete Cowboy, Cry Macho, and Hell or High Water. Uh, we have a whole bunch of these in the archives. We'll actually be doing another one. Uh, pretty soon, um, me and Alexis Haina will be doing one for uh, Scooby Meets Cow uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog, the new My Little Pony movie on Netflix that's coming out, <laughs> and Muppets Haunted Mansion. So look for that keep close to our, Halloween. Just keep telling yourself you're a good father. Uh-huh. I'm also a good podcast dad. Um, oh, also, other sorry. I, for some reason, my Facebook notifications are not working properly. No, Jeff, my reference is not Chicken Run. Okay, that, I didn't understand what you meant by that. Anyway, uh, the other triple feature we'll be doing in the near future, uh, I made Ronnie Adams watch Cinderella. See, you're not the only one that I abuse, Robert. <laughs> oh, hold on. Which which Cinderella did you make poor Ronnie watch? The one that just debuted on Amazon the same day as uh, Chang-Chi. Uh, yeah, that's... Porter and whatnot. No, 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 no. That, that's pretty abusive. That, yeah. that is pretty abusive. I, I literally pulled the no one else will do this with me. And I think it's important to talk about. And Ronnie was like, I have no the right to kick anyone off a podcast that I want for this. And I was like, all right, take it easy, Jason. Um, but <laughs> uh, in any case, we will be doing a triple feature for uh, Cinderella Vacation Friends with John Cena and Jolt that also debuted on Amazon Prime. So that'll be coming up in the very near future. 
we uh, we just reviewed Andrew WK's God is Partying, and Andrew WK retweeted us. God help us all. So um, we were pretty... pretty we were pretty kind to the album. It just wasn't what I expected. So check out that review. We've got a review for Lucifer Season 6 coming up. Another Mania of WrestleMania, this time um, doing 6 and 7. The Rise and Fall of the Ultimate Warrior. If Chris Bailey can get his shit together in time, we'll have a review of AEW Grand Slam featuring Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, whichever you like. And well, Considering Daniel Bryan is trademarked by the WWE, this is Brian Daniels. <laughs> Shmagegi McGee. And then we also have the next, the chapter four of our uh, Four Kings of Boxing podcast. This time, uh, The Last King. Then we get on to the fights themselves. Tommy Hearns, Thomas the Hitman Hearns. That's what we'll be talking about. All right, Robert. Tommy Hearns. Tommy Hearns. The one who, of the four kings, the one who went up the most in weight to become a world champion. All right, go ahead and do your plugs. Let's get out of here. All right. If you've enjoyed this particular show, we thank you very much for doing so. Um, if you are, because we are on, we are live streaming these on Twitch and Facebook, uh, it is simulcast. So occasionally if you're in the Twitch chat, you'll see stuff that is being typed out on Mark's end because it just appears in both sets there. Um, if you enjoy watching us live, or if you're listening to this after the fact and would like to get the live experience, I suppose you can follow (laughs) us. I don't edit. I don't know what the difference would be, but sure. Meet the audience where they are. I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) if you would like to. Get the live experience and potentially influence the show in real time by haranguing us. <laughs> uh, you uh, again, we are. Li- you can follow the uh, Radlich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page to get the notification when that goes live. And we are on Twitch at Twitch.tv/w2mnet. That's W the number two M net. And if you do the Twitch thing, give us a follow. It's in yeah, it's in this corner, a little bit below where my finger is as I try to figure out the proper mirroring. It's down there. And follows are free. So if you have an account, give us a follow. Uh, it'll help us out. And it will literally cost you nothing. So If you're watching this when it goes up on YouTube, leave a comment, uh, do a like. If you're actually one of the weird people left on Earth who isn't watching this video and actually does audio podcasts and audio podcasts only, especially if you're an Apple user, Please leave us a comment. Please subscribe. I normally don't. I I, I I think it's really anti-punk rock to ask people to do that. But I just have one request. And that's, and that's really all I care about. There's one guy who years ago before we became part of W2M left a comment that said, what the heck? Terrible. I want that to go away. Please put up another comment. I don't care if it's the recipe for rabbit stew. I don't care if it's the lyrics to Cowboy by Kid Rock, which you can also find on AmazonMusic.com. Just okay. do something else to replace it. If one of you could find one of the uh, wonderful monologues from Stringer Bell on the wire and just use that, <laughs> it would make that would make Mark's day. Yeah, just, just hey, listen. You know what you should? I, I will. I will somehow find a way to reward anyone that leaves a comment on the Apple Podcast that just says "Get on with it, motherfucker." That's uh, two purposes. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that helps. Uh, that helps out tremendously. As we hey, I hear the people at four one one love your wrestling coverage. Talk about that. Uh, sure, they do. <laughs> um, yeah, I cover professional wrestling a few days a week over at four one one maniacom I cover AW's Dark Elevation on Mondays. Oh, uh, this last week there was a polite disagreement about my rating of one match. No, 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 you you can scoff. No, it, it really was polite. Like nobody. Nobody just insulted me. They expressed a difference of opinion. And I'm fine with that. 
Like that, that's how that should be done. If you have a reasonable disagreement with my conclusions, leave your argument. And by which I don't mean anything acrimonious, leave your case. I read the comments. You can find me there on occasion if you want to yell at me on a more direct level. And so there was some discussion about one of my ratings in particular, but yeah, it happens. Uh, I cover MLW stuff when they release stuff on Wednesdays. Uh, this Thursday, I will be covering Impact Wrestling because the guy that they got to do it is having a conflict of scheduling and someone else will be taking that position shortly. Fortunately for everyone, this was one of the few Thursday evenings I'm going to have free, so I'm able to do it. So you can find me doing that on Thursday. Fridays, I cover WWE SmackDown. All of that is over in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. I also cover mixed martial arts action. This uh, So last week, there was UFC on ESPN Plus 50. You can find my full report for that in the MMA zone of 411mania. This Saturday is UFC 266, featuring a featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. It's a great fight on paper. A sacrificial offering to the gods when Valentina Shevchenko defends her title against Lauren Murphy. That will go very badly for Lauren Murphy, I tend to think. And the long-awaited return of Nick Diaz. Not Nate, Nick. He's coming off of a six-year layoff and will be fighting Robbie Lawler in a rematch that's some 17 years in the making. Um, We've had a bit of drama that started already this week. Apparently, Nick Diaz wants the fight to be at middleweight instead of welterweight. We're waiting on Robbie Lawler to potentially agree to that. So the standard Diaz drama is rearing its head. But this Saturday, I will be covering that also in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Speaking of mixed martial arts, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. If you are listening to this in an audio-only format, and I sadly I must limit it to that because reasons, you can find that show wherever you listen to podcasts, be that uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts. Do they change Google Podcasts or something else? I forget. Whatever it happens to be, you can find us over there. And that's me. I record that Sunday evenings talking about results, previewing fights, giving my thoughts on news of the week, etc. Your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. So if you're interested in that, you can follow that particular podcast wherever you uh, on whatever podcasting platform you happen to prefer. That is entirely up to you. And let's see. I think that's it for me this week after this particular show. Um, uh, there's a bunch of my Everyone Loves a Bad Guy stuff re-airing. In fact, there's two next week that are coming out. The episode of the sim- of uh, focusing on symbiotes and then one for the Sopranos. And both of the two parts for James Bond. Boy, we really did monkey around with that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So next week, a bunch of re-airs of podcasts that I hosted some seven years ago. <laughs> I don't think it was quite that long, but no. Yeah. It was 13 to 15, so yeah, probably about seven. So yeah, so you can check those out. Uh, last week, Mark and I reviewed Malignant, the James Wan film that uh, went day and date between HBO Max and theaters. If you want our thoughts on that particular bunch of insanity, you can listen to it. We had a good time uh, and will again in the future. Uh, We also have reviews in the archives for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, if you're so inclined. You can find us talking about a lot of movies and all related paraphernalia. And 
Yes, we talk about the value of different projector setups. Mark and I will have you know we're adding that to the we are adding that to the list. It will go on there between the money and the critical review will be the technical breakdown. Okay. All right, folks, thanks for hanging out with us. If you watch this live, if you're hearing this after the fact, we really appreciate you listening to our podcast. Um, and we'll have plenty more for you in the future. For Robert Winfrey, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>